Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is one of my regular panel, Julian Rabbit Murdoch. And, and in person, it's so nice to see you face to face. It's good to be here. Thanks for uh, hosting me, and thanks for hosting Three Moves Ahead tonight. No problem. Uh, we also welcome to the show, first time guest, someone I've wanted to have on the show for a while, uh, president and janitor of Blendo Games, uh, Brendan Chung. Hello. Three Moves Ahead. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. We've been uh, we've been fans of yours for quite some time. It's a real pleasure to get to talk to you. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I've been listening to Three Moves Ahead for quite a while since the Tom Chick days. So this is pretty fun to be on this show. I, c- I could offer to get you coffee, but it's more of a beer kind of show these days. <laughs> That's right. So uh, I, I've kind of wanted to have you on the show since playing uh, Adam Zombie Smasher last year, uh, which instantly became one of my favorite games. And uh, for how short a game it is, uh, it should tell you something that I put in like 35 hours uh, on my Steam account playing Adam Zombie Smasher. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think one of the first places I, I wanted to start actually is uh, one of the things that seems to define sort of a Blendo Games game is that you kind of cut off the experience uh, just when it's like getting amazing. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, your your games, it's like long before I can even think about like the day when I will be tired of it. It's over, and I, I'm just I'm I'm curious like I, I'm curious what the intent is behind that because you know you've created the systems it seems like it'd be very iterate just to like it'd be very easy just to like create more content but it seems like there's a stylistic choice to keep it like short and focused and I'm uh, you know interested to hear you talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if I was making these games maybe ten years ago when I was a little bit younger and had more time, I would be making these more. Um, kind of long form games made to have these you know long epic campaigns, but now that I'm getting older, I find that I have less time to play games nowadays. Um, so my personal taste is I like playing shorter games. I like things that are kind of a nice sweet package that you could sit in like maybe an evening or two and just have this nice complete experience. Um, so for me, I kind of like the shorter the short form experience myself. But but are you are you sort of robbing yourself of some efficiency opportunities there? I mean, uh, you know, you, you take a game like Adam Zombie Smasher, or or really, I mean, um, you know, really any of your games, uh, they they seem like they could be so much longer. It seems like they could be, uh, you know, so much more content in them. Um, you know, I it, sometimes I wonder whether or not it's like, do you do you just get bored with a certain idea? <laughs> Uh, it's not so much bored, but um, part of it is just uh, production realities in that uh, for me, like I, I prefer it if a game is short and is packed full of uh, detail and love and every single thing is nice and polished and clean as opposed to something that's a bit more extended and longer, but is a little bit rougher on the edges. Um, you know, some of the little menus and some of the graphics are kind of not as honed and polished down. Um, so for me, it's more about kind of keeping that bar quality very high. And for to do that, uh, just making the game a little bit shorter is just something that I just kind of have to do sometimes. Do you, do you go in with sort of a target of... Uh, you know, I want to spend this long on development, or I want the game to be x uh, x length. I mean, w- talk to me a little bit about your your development cycle. I mean, you're kind of a one man shop. Um, you've been cranking out a game. It seems like a game a year, sort of. Is is do you have a, is there a plan here, or do you just sort of have projects you're working on and you go from one thing to the next, and when it's ready, it's ready. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really have it like a set schedule or anything, you know, set in stone. Uh, for me, it's more about just what am I interested in working on at the moment. Um, and you mentioned before, like, do I just stop when I get bored? Uh, I wouldn't quite say it's exactly like that, but I do think that my the interest of a developer in a project is a finite resource. It is something that once you exhaust, it's very hard to get back. So for me, or maybe that's just me, but for me, I like to make sure that I can make a project before I exhaust that pool of, uh, of enthusiasm and excitement for a project. Um, and so for me, about that, that time span is about maybe a year or a year and a half or so. Hmm. So I'm curious, like, is Blendo Games something that like you do on the side, like it's a sort of running side project? Is there is there a day job that is sort of fighting for time with your with your game development life? Uh, no. So I used to work uh, full time at a AAA studio, and I was kind of doing my own little side projects in my spare time. Uh, but then that studio got shut down, and then I decided to do Blendo Games full time. So Blendo Games is my uh, my full time job now. That's fantastic. You're living the dream. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I love it. I mean, what's nice is that, you know, a lot of the games that I'd make, they're, some of the ideas are kind of, maybe they wouldn't fly at a big studio. The ideas are kind of like maybe a little bit stupid, kind of risky, but when you're a one-man shop, you know, there's no one, there's no committee meetings like, should we do this or not? I'll just go ahead and do it and see what flies. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, I mean, let's let maybe start digging into some of the games, right? I mean, I, I first discovered your work wait, with Gravity Bone, which was, I guess, at this point, two and a half, three years ago. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Um, you know, and one of the things that struck me about it was it was it was a classic case of reductionist design, I thought, where everything that got in the way just got removed. And some of that was graphic fidelity. You know, there was no, no attempt to make it, uh, you know, you know, billions of polygons or anything like that. You you sort of took this sort of core idea of what would it be like to have this sort of cool spy mechanic on a, in, in in this sort of confined space, and and you just sort of ran with that. Um, and then the the end result there is that you end up really able to explore one or two ideas in really interesting ways that you might not if you'd gotten distracted. So I mean, you know, when I when I first played Gravity Bone, that was the thing that struck me first. I mean, I think it, it got a lot of press simply because it sort of had that sort of quasi eight bit aesthetic thing going on. Um, but then I was just so into the idea that you were trying to tell this one simple story, and everything else got out of the way. You know, when you start the design process for something like that, are you are you literally going at it from sort of a pen and paper perspective, where you're like, here are the objectives I'm trying to put forward in this game, um, or or is it just sort of iterative experimentation? I mean, I know in a larger shop there's huge planning processes. When you're a one man shop, does that fall through? I mean, does your AAA background give you that same sort of level of production, uh, you know, mechanics going through it, or are you just literally throwing stuff on the wall and seeing what works and then waking up tomorrow and trying again? Uh, yeah, it's, um, so I, I find that pen and paper design is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it, it's, it's tough because when, when you put something on the screen, it's incredibly different from what you wrote down on your paper. Uh, I find that, Immediately, once you put that sprite that moves across the screen or you put that UI menu, whatever it is, your design document becomes largely obsolete, at least in my <laughs> case. 
which is kind of a sad shame because he spent all his time like thinking about all these edge cases, thinking about all these scenarios, and then you put it into the engine and your design document is just a paperweight at that point. Um, so I find that when I develop something, I try to get stuff up and running as quickly as humanly possible. Um, so for Gravity Bone, it is a very you know minimalistic game, but I mean the, its history is that it began as a more as a very conventional kind of a shooter game. You ran around, you shot things, and shell casings fell on the floor, and you know robots got blown apart, whatever it is. Um, but then as I developed it more and more, just through the through the organic development process, uh, I found that shooting things was just not interesting because you know every game does that nowadays. And uh, the stuff that was not shooting, like you know, using little cameras, using a little, you know, hammer and freon can, freon uh, cans to break locks, that was so much more interesting. All the little narrative and story stuff was so much more interesting. So just as the development continued, the less interesting stuff, which was you know, guns, got removed, and the more interesting stuff, like the story bits, just got more and more amplified. Now, your games tend to. Uh, they're 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 so stripped down and streamlined that you know in many ways they're they're very simple games and I'm curious once you've you know once you've got that design sort of up there on the screen you're starting to work with it um, you know how long how long are you spending on making these games like is it from that point like once you start to figure out what's interesting is it fairly quick to you know just develop the game now around the mechanics you've identified are successful or is there um, you know, a sort of perfectionism that the uh, simplicity of of, uh, of the final product might belie? Uh, I find that nothing really comes quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all about putting stuff in, and um, especially for me as the one person developing these things, is that it's incredibly difficult. The, the, the thing I find mo most difficult is uh, getting perspective on the project. Because personally, when I make my own stuff, I think everything is broken. I think everything is not fun. Um, because it's hard for me to get, I don't, it's impossible for me to get that experience that of a, of a player to seeing something for the first time. Uh, it's impossible for me to, to know how the player is going to um, approach this UI or how they're going to you know, perceive this game mechanic. Uh, so for me, it's all about putting stuff into the game, um, getting it in front of my friends and family and seeing like, you know, how does this work for you? And just like taking notes as they get hopelessly stuck in the very first room of the game <laughs> for 20 minutes. Uh, how many, I mean, how big is your sort of your quiet beta group? And do you, I, I, I haven't seen it before. Maybe you already do this, but I mean, do you have a broader sort of more public uh, beta process or is it really just, you know, 10 of your best friends that see what you're working on? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, you know several members of my family and uh, a bunch of my friends from uh, my AAA development who uh, are still living in the area. And um, I just invite them over to my place, get a pizza and some drinks, and uh, just watch creepily stare at them as they play my games. <laughs> I mean, would you? Do you? Are you intrigued by the idea of doing broader beta testing, or does that just sort of seem uh, like at that point you might as well just release what you've got? Uh, you know, it's something that I feel that I should be more interested in doing because I think something magical happens once you release your game into the wild. Um, I mean, the very the very first day that I release any of my stuff, I find that there's a bazillion different things wrong with the game. It's a bazillion <laughs> different ways that people break it, especially since I focus on you know PC and Mac. It's especially just 
just just a haven for things going wrong. Is is that just like primarily technical problems, or is it the day you release a gay a game that suddenly you have this forehead slapping moment where you're like, oh damn it, I should have done this and this completely <laughs> differently than I did. Yeah, yeah, it's very forehead slappy because you know, I mean, I I test with maybe you know a group of maybe between ten and twenty people or so, which is it's a it's it's a healthy amount, but then you know that doesn't compare to you know five five thousand people all banging on your game at the same time, right? But I mean, part of what's so, uh, I mean, certainly speaking from, uh, you know, my personal experience with your games, you know, Gravity Bone sort of came out of nowhere. And, you know, I think we found it on the forums at Gamer for the Jobs, and then everybody piled in <laughs> and started playing it. Um, and that was sort of one of those classic sort of indie discoveries where it's like, oh, this is great. And it's, he's doing this one cool thing. And, you know, you've got, it's only an hour too long. You've got to play it. And, and that was, you know, sort of this great thing where there was no anticipation for it and therefore um i think it a game can really hit you when you had no expectations going in so i could totally understand why a game uh you know that's relatively short that's a relatively confined experience you wouldn't necessarily want to have an extended public beta because by the time you release it half the people who were interested probably already played it all right so that that may not make much sense uh you know from a business model standpoint um but then i think about a game like flotilla Right, which is you know a substantially more complex game than Gravity Bone, and seems like it just has these endless possibilities. I mean, Rob and I have been talking <laughs> about this all weekend before we were talking to you about about all the things that we love about Flotilla. For for our listeners who haven't played it, Flotilla is a truly three dimensional space combat game uh, that also is a bit of a roguelike in that you're sort of going on a handful of missions that get more and more difficult and eventually you're going to die. And it's all about the story you tell along the way, uh, you know, in those five to 10 missions. I don't know how long, what's the longest you've ever played? Um, you know, I don't. I, I haven't actually tallied it up. My my high score is an embarrassing like eighty thousand. <laughs> I'm sad to say, and I was like, oh yeah, eighty thousand. Then look at the leaderboard, and uh, wished I'd died along with my captain. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, a game like that. We you know we were talking about how. Um, you, you know, you took this one system and you really nailed it in the way that many, many games in that genre have never been able to do that sort of really navigating through 3D space in a way that felt deliberate and and tactical and interesting. And then you sort of I feel like you left us hanging because just as you're getting really into this and you're maneuvering your couple of ships around, you're like. But I want a capital ship and 19 fighters and 16 Corsairs, and I don't get that game. Oh, I think I get it. <laughs> it's a meditation on death, isn't it? You can tell us. Flotilla is actually about death. Uh, you know what? You're right. It is. You you do have seven months to live, and you get to do whatever you want with it. And uh, um. It's. I think a lot of people reacted very, very negatively to that, but I'm okay with that. I'm, with I'm, the, the idea that that you were doomed from the start, and yes, it was just a yes. matter of like however many what you could do in a limited amount of time. Yeah, I think a lot of people think I'm a jerk, and uh, that was not <laughs> that was not my intention. But um, well, no, but, but I mean, I, as a you know, as a business guy, do you look at something like Flotilla and which you know, not to blow sunshine up your ass, because we're also being pretty critical about this decision you made to sort of cut <laughs> the game short. Um, you know, you really did create a pretty masterful version of something that I think has stymied a lot of people in the space opera genre for a long it's time. Like Homeworld, and that's kind of it. Yeah, and. I, 
so you do that, but then you use it to this narrow purpose. It's a little bit like, you know, you, you invented, uh, you know, you, you discovered electricity, but the only thing you're going to use it for is powering an electric toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, like I said before, there's, there's something charming and kind of funny about doing something wrong about making a game incorrectly that when someone would look at it and say, why would you possibly, what possible reason would you have to do that? And I would say, you know, I just felt like it because I thought it would be kind of interesting. But I mean, would um, you think you'd ever revisit it? Because I mean, the other, the other comment that Rob and I've been kicking around is, you know, boy, it's impossible to peg you into a genre, right? I mean, so far you've made sort of a first-person stealth game that's got sort of an 8-bit aesthetic. You tower made, defense strategy. You made a tower defense strategy game. game. <laughs> you've made a three-dimensional space tactics game, uh, you know, most and almost all of this set to crazy soundtracks. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I can define sort of a, an ethos and maybe a certain design guide style or something like that. But boy, it's not not a genre thing. So, do you think you'd ever go back and revisit some of these mechanics that you know you can now look back on and say, uh, you know what? In retrospect, nailed it with Flotilla. Now I should go license that or work on something that's a giant, bigger game that actually gives me my goddamn capital ship and sixteen characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. In terms of like the genres, I uh, the reason why I, I try to keep things very very broad for myself is that I I think that games are still is still a very new type of media. I mean, it's something that hasn't been around for a tremendous amount of time, um, and I think it's just so exciting to be at the ground level of this new exciting thing. I mean, it's like being at the ground level of literature or film. That is that is an incredible uh, opportunity to have. So I've been trying to, you know, try my hand at a bunch of different things. I'm not, I, I think after I made Flotilla, there was a huge temp- temptation to like, just make Flotilla too, make it bigger and better and uh, fix the things that are broken with it and, you know, add the things that people are interested in adding. But um, I've, I've been trying to uh, fend off that temptation and trying to, you know, expand my horizons in different directions. But um, in regard to you, to Someday returning to Flotilla, oh, yes, definitely. Because um, I've, I've learned that there's a lot of different things that I would really love to add and change to Flotilla. Um, because it is a game that I, I do enjoy, and I, I, I do think that it can go in very uh, different directions. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm curious. As you, as you go back and, and play it now, though, like, you know, now that you've got a little distance on it, you know what are what are some things where you're like oh you know another thing about this would be cool yeah 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 um one thing that really bugs me now is um the campaign structure uh so so the the impetus of the campaign is right now it's kind of a choose your own adventure basically it, there's just a giant tree of different uh events and the decisions you make in one event will cascade out to a later event and it'll unlock or lock different events. And um, the idea when I started making it was, um, I think I had just played Dragon Age, the, the Bioware RPG game. Yep. And uh, near, somewhere near the middle or end of the game, there's a, there's a moment where you have to make these, you know, 
nation-changing decisions that will affect history for you know decades to come. And my idea between Flotilla was instead of putting that at the end of the game, what if that came at the beginning of the game? What if these giant decisions were um, you know presented to you throughout your entire adventure instead of just backloading all of them? Um, which I, I still think is an interesting idea, but in terms of just content production, it was absolute hell because you'd have to create these events. And if you create these branching events at the beginning of the campaign, it just creates this ridiculous spider web network of and, events that you have to write. And, and it almost had nothing to do with the core concepts of the actual gameplay, which is sort of the interesting thing there is that, you know, that sort of uh, that adventure structure that you created, which is hysterical and very well written. <laughs> and, you know, you, I mean, I, I, we you know I was replaying it this weekend ahead of talking to you and, it, you know, I got the, you know, you become king of karaoke of the whole universe in the first turn. And, you know, I mean, all sorts of strange things happen that are very sort of Hitchhiker's Guide-esque, but they don't really have much to do at all with the real core gameplay of, uh, you know, really, really well done 3D tactical maneuvering in space, right? Which is really the core mechanic of the game. So it's sort of an interesting blend of things going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And as as one person making a game, I kind of feel I, I'm still trying to figure out whether it's a smart or a good or bad decision to to do what I feel is kind of make two different games at the same time. Just kind of goes back to what was it? Um, Sid Meier was talking about how combat is done in civilization, where basically combat is just you know a bunch of numbers that fly out the screen, and you don't really choose how to move units around or go into some sort of weird tactical view because it's very, that'll make the game very schizophrenic. And I'm still trying to decide whether uh, something like Adam Zombie Smasher or Flotilla, which are kind of schizophrenic, I feel, in that they're, they are somewhat like two different games at the same time, um, whether that's really good on a design level and on a production level. And um, another thing in Flotilla was that I would definitely add um, multiplayer because I think that's, there's something that would, there's something that 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 combat model would work really well. I think that um, yeah, the the turn-based synchronous combat thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know what what was the game that we were so hooked on? Uh, F- Frozen two, Synapse. No, Frozen Synapse. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Frozen Synapse is the guys that oh. were on the show, which I <laughs> I could still not say with a straight face. Um, you know, there is something to that combat model that is very very satisfying. Um, in, a, in a multiplayer mode, right? And it lends itself also to, you know, sort of asynchronous mobile play, which is all hot right now. Um, I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, that, that that actually sort of begs the question. I mean, Adam, Adam Zombie Smasher, which, you know, I, I didn't get quite as hooked as Rob because I'm bad at games, so I lose a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it seems like such a natural sort of tablet carried around with you game because it has that sort of confined game experience, but but also is very tactile in a sense. Have you thought about developing off the PC and Mac platform at all, or are you sort of a committed PC uh, PC game developer? Uh, no, I mean that I, I definitely agree with you in that it would there's something that's kind of natural for that game to fit on tablets or touch interfaces. Um, but for me, it's just a matter of uh, development in that I don't really have experience with that in that area and. Um, you know, farming out to someone else is something that I haven't really, something that's not as easy for me to do. That's just a control freak issue or are you just, <laughs> uh, I suppose that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable. Well, 
I kind of wanted to get your take on the overall like aesthetic of your games because you do work in all these different genres. Uh, you know, you're sort of creating mechanics for, you know, new mechanics for every different game. And yet I would say like all your games have sort of a consistent style to them. Like there's sort of a Blendo games vibe that I have a hard time entirely putting my finger on. So I was wondering <laughs> if you could just like spell it out. <laughs> uh, the short answer is no, I can't really spell it out. Um, but I think the the longer answer is that I, I try to keep all of my games I try to keep all of my games happening in the same game universe. Um, like I was really inspired when I was younger. Some of my early uh, filmmaker idols that I loved were, um, you know, Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith. And something that I loved about the work that they did was that all of their movies kind of took place in the same universe. And like characters in one, one in one movie would have some offhand remark to some characters in the other movie or some event that happened uh, in the movie that's coming up next summer. Um, and then kind of, you, you see kind of some games that kind of do that. Like Bungie does that with a lot of their games. Uh, some of the early stuff like Pathways into Darkness or Myth or, uh, you know, Marathon or um, uh, Halo, where there are little offhand references to events that happen in that game or some historical event that happened in this game will be talked about in, by that character. Um, so for my games, I try to keep them all in the same universe so that it has the same kind of tone and has the same kind of uh, uh, some of the characters kind of carry over from one thing to another or events and things like that. Is there an example of that, of a character who's popped up in one place? And yeah, because Rob and I are later. both sitting here like with their jaws open. Going, like, like I'm trying to figure out, like, <laughs> the guy from Gravity Bone is the captain in Flotilla? What am I missing? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, uh, in my, I just released, or I'm going to soon release a game called, um, 30 Flights of Loving, which is kind of a, a sequel to Gravity Bone. Um, and if you play that game, there are references to, um, you know, uh, things happening with space captains in outer space or finding the different wormholes that lead to different technology that leads to flotilla. Um, you have little references to characters from Gravity Bone, um, uh, it takes place in the same country as Adam Zombie Smasher. Um, so it's stuff that isn't really critical to the game, but uh, if you if you kind of peek and prod at the at the environments, you kind of see these little connections. I mean, I, I would say if I had to make a connection, it would be probably stylistic. And there's a certain um, almost like British tongue-in-cheek quality <laughs> to everything. I mean, uh, you know, the 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 quality of the writing, for instance, and the adventure text in Flotilla, uh, you know, or the soundtrack that plays throughout Adam Zombie Smasher, which is, you know, making light of, you know, just epic death. Well, yeah, you know? Adam Zombie Smasher is this, like, crazy, like, surf rock experience that <laughs> just happens to be, like, cities being drowned in a tide of zombies. Right. I mean, we, we, we had this up the other day, and, my, and Rob was here, and my son was playing it. And he came in to – my son came in to Rob to get advice because he knows better than to ask me about something. And, and <laughs> Rob's, Rob won't refer to them as zombies and people. He's like, you know, when the blue dots do this, you want to make sure that the gold dots are over here or whatever. I was like, you mean like the survivors and the zombies? He's like, oh, it's better if you don't think of them as people. <laughs> and there's there's a certain something to that. I mean the level of abstraction is such um, that the whole thing can be sort of farcical and funny while at the same time dealing with, you know, the death of thousands of people over and over again. 
Uh, and, yeah, and, you yeah. know, Flotilla uh, has that same tongue in cheek quality to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of kind of dark humor or kind of, uh, you know, something that's slightly more, instead of ha ha humor, it's more kind of absurdist, kind of somewhat surreal. Um, I find that when, when I play games, like a lot of stuff out there is really, it's really grim and dark and, you know, brown and gray. And uh, when, when I make stuff or when I play stuff, I, I prefer things to be somewhat more, more light, something that's, that's something I can relax and enjoy. What are what are some of your inspirations? Not not in the you know big like Beatles Rolling Stone sense, but I mean in the <laughs> when you look around the industry, what who whose work are you playing that you're like, oh, this guy's got it going on. I need to talk to him about how he's doing stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. One one game that so I, when I was working at the studio, um, me and some programmers, some designers, we would play Company of Heroes, basically. Basically every day for about three years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people went through that phase. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that game for me just hits so much buttons. It's a, uh, it's, it it has all it has a lot of kind of interesting things that interesting war games do, but it pre- it abstracts the stuff in such a way it presents things in such a way that you know it's actually you know pretty fast paced. It's pretty understandable. It's really quick and easy and. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it just does so much things right for me. I think for Adam Zombie Smasher, the big one was XCOM, yeah. which kind of to a fault. Um, really? Yeah. The, the problem with that was uh, I, w- I was really infatuated with XCOM when I was growing up, um, the, the first one. And uh, so when I made Adam Zombie Smasher, I set out with making, like, all right, I'm going to make Adam, I'm going to make basically XCOM except the technical combat is, you know, it's, uh, it's more of an RTS game, and um, the metagame will be this giant convoluted thing. And the problem was the metagame became this unruly mess, and uh, it, it just became this rabbit hole in which development time would just get sucked into, and I just could not get this thing to work. Because you, you were able to build, like, intercontinental cannons and create research labs and the research labs would attract uh, zombies okay. and then you could you could control a zombie swarm around by placing you know moving the population around to kind of use them as human bait and that was that almost uh, just crushed development of that project for me because it you know the game just was not working um, so I did what any good producer would do, and I would just completely chop out the entire minigame. So basically what you're left with is you click on a territory to send your guys there, and that is all that remains, basically. <laughs> wow, okay, so originally there was like supposed to be a full like zombie survival strategy game uh, attached to this. This is an overworld yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I'll, that's, I'll, I should put a video of that somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, now I understand better when you were saying that you have this constant struggle about whether you should always be making two games at once, right? <laughs> you know, and, and you know, it, it's interesting because I hadn't thought of the sort of the meta game of Flotilla as sort of being its own sort of true adventure game. But I mean, it is when you, I certainly now that you sort of explained how the branching works, you know, I hadn't put much thought into that. Um, but, but I mean, that is really fascinating because I certainly don't think most people would say, 
you know, oh, Brendan, he's known for making these games with these big overworld strategic, you know, prospects. <laughs> Instead, what they, I think most people probably come to this with the same impressions that Rob and I did, which is like, this is a guy who picks one thing and he freaking nails it and leaves you wanting more. Right. And that's, and that's really interesting that your perception of where your rat holes are is so completely different than our perception of what your games are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think, uh, you know, when I play a game is very different from when you're the one that's developing it and you realize like, Oh my God, everything is broken. Everything has so much missed potential. But when you're playing it, you, I don't even realize what the developer, you know, cut out or removed or modified at the 11th hour. You know, since you have to play the part of your, your own producer, um, you know, I mean, even in AAA developments, it can be really tough for the team to bring the axe down on a feature it's sort of fallen in love with, an idea think it's, thinks it's going to really work. Um, I mean, I got to believe, like, you know, for a one-man show, it's just an absolutely, like, brutal experience to sort of, like, <laughs> you know, admit, you you know, for example, you can't make the metagame of Adam Zombie Smasher work. Um, do, do you find that really difficult to get the distance on it to make the correct call? Or... Uh, or, or, or do you do, you, do your values as a designer making it kind of, make it kind of easy to ultimately make these calls? Uh, no, I mean it's always hard. Um, what was that the writer that said? Well, you have to kill your babies. And basically, when I make these things, they are my babies. And to just outright, you know, remove them from this earthly plane just hurts so much. But I mean, uh, ultimately what you're giving players is not an idea in your head or it's not a design document. Um, it's not the potential of a good game. What you're giving them is what's actually on the screen and what happens when they bang on the keyboard. And if, if what happens when they bang on the keyboard is just not fun or terrible, then you know you have to just make that rough call of just removing that thing completely. No. Let me ask you, because as somebody who played a lot of Adam's Zombie Smasher, I mean, I'll I'll admit, one of the things I often was thinking about, particularly over last Christmas break, was, man, I really wish this game had a metagame. I really wish this this strategy game, uh, you know, just had more to it. I I tried to do the um, extended length campaign, right? Uh-huh. Uh, where you're, where you're playing to like ten thousand points or something like that. Yeah. And like that. Uh, over that over that long campaign, the entire thing just breaks down because the point <laughs> the points curve is like skewed to work for like a two thousand point game. If you extend it, everything just kind of goes to hell. Yes. Yes. Um, definitely. Uh, yeah. So what you're seeing is the fallout of that completely gone meta game. <laughs> well, sorry. But, <laughs> no, but so where I was going with that though is so everything that makes it into your game just works like it's just about damn near perfect there's not a ton in the game but it's just it all works perfectly do you ever think like i mean i'm curious are perhaps your standards just a little high uh for for your own work you know like because just as somebody who like you know loves strategy games and like came away from adam zombie smasher you know almost like i still felt there was more to do in that more to do in that game but i kind of exhausted what was there um you know, like, I guess, you know, as a player, I think perhaps I have a, you know, a, a little tolerance for uh, a little tolerance for jank. Well, given given all of the janky strategy games we play that are <laughs> that ship half broken. I mean, maybe that's that's maybe a particular, qual- you know, quirk of strategy gamers that will tolerate anything. 
That's to- that, that's totally yeah. fair. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's just that kind of boils down to my personal taste. I guess I am more of a. Um, I guess I would describe myself as an intolerant gamer in that. Uh, the the very first five minutes of your game better do it right for me because if the five minutes just don't work for me, I'm probably not going to play it. Um, you know, if I'm confused by your UI or if your uh, if your signage is just weird and I don't know what to do or what the victory conditions are, um, I'm probably not going to play. And I guess that kind of makes me a bad gamer because I'm sure there's a bazillion games out there where if you put in like the good two hours it deserves, then you'll find a real gem. But um, not for me, I guess. Well, I, I think it gets to what you said before. Right? I mean, certainly myself, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. I don't have a lot of tolerance to kick a whole evening into a game to find out whether it's going to be any fun. It, you know, unless it's something that's part of a storied franchise that I think I already know what I'm getting. A brand new game, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, you know, I better be able to skip through the boring part of the tutorial and get into the meat of it that's supposed to actually be entertaining in the first 10 minutes or... I got other things to do. I'm a busy man. I'm going to die soon, you know? (laughs) Yes, exactly like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So for me, I I just try to make my games. I I try to remove anything that I think that can possibly make people confused or miserable or frustrated and uh, just try to leave, you know, just the stuff that works. Yeah, one of the, you know, Rob, Rob's sitting over here lamenting the lack of content because he wants more and more and more. <laughs> um, you know, have you thought of sort of opening up the games to let other people make content? I mean, certainly Adam Zombie Smasher seems like it could be rife for just rafts of community levels or something like that. Um, now, you know, half of the time when, or maybe 98% of the time, when you release stuff like that into the wild, it either nothing happens or you get a lot of crap. But every once in a while, you also get Daisy. You know, you end up with stuff yes. that, that you never would have thought of that is an amazing extension of what was already an amazing game. Um, you know, something like Flotilla or Adam Zombie Smasher seemed like they'd be just right for that. Have you, have you considered that? Or is it just sort of too much work to package up the tools to hand them off to somebody? Uh, no, I mean, I've definitely thought of that. And I actually, for Adam Zombie Smasher, um, actually, there is a mod interface for it. So if in the main menu, you can click on the mod, mods button, and you can create your own little uh, gameplay modification to the game. Um, you could tweak like how much mercenaries you get, and how big the maps are, and the timings of all the different weapons, and things like that. Um, and I let people kind of upload it to this mod depository and then download the files, because they're all just, you know, just text files. Um, and for Flotilla, yeah, that, that definitely is the direction that I want all of my future projects to go. Like, one of my, another thing that, I, that bugs me crazy about Flotilla is that I kind of hard-coded all of the little story events when what I should have done was, you know, open up, all those events as just, you know, plain text files and just let people kind of expand on it and, you know, maybe even integrate their changes into the actual game uh, and just include their changes and patches, things like that. Um, Yeah, so definitely user-made content is something that, you know, it's how I got my start making games for things like, you know, Doom and Quake. And it's definitely something that I, I, I very much believe in. Going to the design of these games themselves, my, my first question about Flotilla uh, would be, you know, were you sort of consciously um, 
aping homeworld uh as you're making that game is like it was this kind of like your 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 indie homeworld as as you're as you're tackling that project or uh you know were you just sort of trying to nail down like true three-dimensional combat uh homeworld uh was definitely an inspiration um i had played a ton of homeworld Cataclysm, the, mm-hmm. the expansion pack, which I absolutely loved. It's just a fantastic game. Um, but when making Flotilla, I I wasn't consciously trying to make like a you know a Flotilla, a Homeworld, you know, a, a clone or something like that. Um, what I wanted to do was make a game that was kind of roughly. I was thinking of Company of Heroes tanks in outer space. So basically, you have you know, the different pieces of armor, and then you try mm-hmm. to maneuver around uh, to try to flank around the guy or get behind him or hit their sides. Um, so for me, it was that that core mechanic of what if someone made this uh, attempted to, to make a completely three D space combat game, and. Um, uh, like a RTS uh, strategy game, um, mm. and another goal of mine. Like originally, that Flotilla was made specifically for Xbox Live indie games, um, and my goal was to make an RTS a strategy game that was custom made just for consoles. Um, I, I think a lot of console strategy games they kind of try to emulate. Uh, a traditional mouse setup, like you use the left stick to move right, this right, mouse cursor right. around, the screen around, then you and hit. It the really never too. works very well. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. Um, like there, there was that one game that tried that did the voice commands. I thought that was pretty interesting, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I so I, for, for Flotilla, I tried to specifically make it just for consoles. You only have you know maybe three units and three or four units given at any given time. Um, the, the controls are made just for the left stick and right stick to move the camera, stuff around. Um, so, so that was my, the, the, the reason for, for Make a Flotilla. And, and I mean, I've, I only ever played it on PC. Was it released on the Xbox Indie uh, channel, and did that work out well? Uh, it, yeah, it was released on that channel and it sold maybe a handful of copies. So it was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty disappointing, but on PC it did much better, and that's basically why I develop on PC nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard a lot of success stories off the uh, the XNA stuff. You know, some all. people there 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 are success stories. That's the thing. I mean, there are games that do well. Um, uh, Solar and Solar Two, I think. I, I those are wonderful games, and they, they apparently they sell quite well there, but. Um, yeah, I just couldn't crack it. I don't know what the I don't know what the secret formula is, but I just couldn't do it. So, when you're designing a three D starship game, um, one of the things that I I really enjoy about Flotilla is the fact that like, um, I don't know, sort of the balletic movement of space combat, as it were, like you know, <laughs> ships sort of you know rolling to expose their their best armor uh, to one enemy, and and just sort of the the way it plays with you know pitch roll yaw and the, and the, and the three dimensional uh, battlefield. But did you find? 
I, I'm interested to hear sort of the AI challenges that that you begin to run into when you've got when you've got the AI uh, sort of being hit from all sides in the three dimensional area. Did you, did you find that a difficult? Did you find AI to be a difficult problem to crack? Uh, it was a difficult problem to crack, and I feel kind of weird saying that because I feel that I didn't really crack the problem at all. I think it's still kind of it behaves extremely strangely a lot of the times. Um, I think AI is one of the more difficult things to do in game development, and I'm I'm not really a traditionally pr- trained programmer. I just I'm kind of self-taught in basically everything I do. Um, so for me, I would just try to cobble together something that didn't look completely dumb and just attempted to kind of uh, try to face... So the, the way the AI basically works is it tries to face its strongest armor toward where you are. Which, um, beca- which gets weird because it cannot really predict where you're going to go. Uh, it'll, it'll try to pick a random position uh, kind of around where you currently are. Uh, which, if you were to describe that AI algorithm to me, I would be horrified because that's pretty awful. But um, yes, so it was difficult. Yes, I'll say that. You know, for for a game, I, for a game I really enjoyed, I will say, like even after many many hours with it, um, you know, even I'm still still there struggling with 3D camera controls and getting a decent <laughs> view on, view on the action. Uh, at the end of Flotilla, did you kind of have this? Did you kind of have a like moment where it was like, oh, so this is why people don't make these games. <laughs> you know, what? I I think that I made some uh, some mistakes there also. That um, so basically the the way the camera is designed is. Is it's designed similar to how level editing tools uh, approach cameras, in that when you're creating a level in a first-person shooter or something like Doom or Quake, um, you'll kind of float around the world using this control scheme, and so it felt completely natural to me, and I thought, hey, this feels great. People are gonna love this. Yeah, um, I actually, I actually disagree with you, Rob, because I was thinking I'm not, I've never used level design controls at all, but I find it entirely natural. It's just it's the only 3D camera scheme I've ever used where I feel like, oh, I know how exactly how to get to the rear of my ship to see what it's seeing. Yeah, I, I feel that there's it's I guess it's kind of a holy war between like inverted mouse and non inverted <laughs> mouse. I think it just works for some people and not for others, but um, like like for me, I think. Like everyone was telling me, um, use the homeworld camera. That camera is fantastic. And just personally for me, I had so much troubles using that camera. Like I just want to move my camera over there, but the only way to do that is to have some reference point of you know clicking on the ship and then uh, rotating your camera relative to that ship. And my mind, my brain just couldn't wrap itself around. Yeah, I, I was well, never very good at that either. Well, but I would say like, and I, I'm not saying the control, the the camera controls in Flotel are, are are bad at all. I've gotten actually pretty good at using them, and I don't, uh, you know, I'm not stuck there ever wrestling with the camera anymore. But it still always feels uh, a little bit weird. Like I'm like sort of winching this thing into position, uh, <laughs> you know, j- just because it's like okay, I want it to go there, and I've got to kind of think about it before I begin to sort of. Uh, you know, steer it and turn it and re- re- reverse it into the right position. And 
you know, it's just other strategy games don't have to confront this, right? Because, you know, you just, like, how do you look at a map? Well, there's your camera. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and yeah. even yeah. games that have wrestled with 3D often cheat, right? I mean, even games that look 3D... Uh, like Sins of a Solar, Sins of a Solar Empire. Empire Goddamn really, liar. Right. They're just, it's just whether or not the planes intersected right, but it's always on a plane. Yeah. So so then, like, moving on to, like, Adam Zombie Smasher, again, you know, we called it sort of like a, a tower defense RTS, but it's... I, have to, I struggle <laughs> with that term because it's really not, but I just... I, I'm not entirely sure what the hell it is. Um, you know, it's almost <laughs> like, what, like crowd control puzzler? Um <laughs> So, so again, like you know, at that at that sort of conceptual stage, what was Adam Zombie Smasher? Uh, yeah, I think originally the idea came from a while ago. Um, it was this some app that someone made to put online. I think if you search on Google for like zombie infection simulator or something like that, and someone wrote it in pro- processing this language, and basically it's just a bunch of dots, and then when a green dot touches a purple dot. Uh, you know, the dots change color and just infects other dots. And I remember watching that and thinking this, I, th- I think you can make a game out of this. I think, I think something interesting can be made on top of this thing. Um, so my first attempt was, uh, again, it was, this was for Xbox Live Indie Games, um, was just putting down bombs on the map and just like, destroying all the zombies before the timer goes out. And that was a pretty awful iteration because while it was interesting that you had this like infection mechanic of the, the AI, um, it became this you know, insane arcade game where you're just like trying to drop nuclear bombs on all these zombies. Um, but then I added the helicopter and then uh, that's when the game finally started to click. Um, you know, it, it became, you had to actually think about, you know, I'm going to rescue these guys over here. I'm going to move this landing zone over here. And uh, it created this whole interesting uh, kind of scenarios that the player creates. And uh, that's something that I really, really liked. Um, and I think, I think when the game started to really work was when I... So, so that, that first Adam Zombie prototype came before Flotilla. And then after Flotilla, I made the decision to just abandon Xbox and go PC only. And then the the good thing about moving to PC was that I got the mouse, and the mouse just changes things completely. Um, I mean, if if you want to make a game with a with a left stick and a right stick, that's that's one thing. But if you want to just convert that game over to a mouse, you have to pretty much uh, retool everything. And for me, I definitely think that worked for the better, especially for this type of game. And that I was now able to let the player kind of make these precision. Uh, uh, movements like placing down roadblocks at this very specific uh, uh, intersection, or you know, select this specific street or this specific infantry squad um, was was just so much easier with the mouse control. So when as you, as you were talking, I was just sort of thinking in my head of you know the countless games I played of that, and the you know the the panic that ensues as you're trying to maneuver the helicopter to the last minute position. I mean, those are the kinds of things that are incredibly frustrating to do with a controller, where you're like trying to very specifically move the helicopter from this intersection to that intersection. But no, I didn't get. That. I mean, <laughs> I, you can't do that yeah. on a controller. But then I yeah. started thinking about the 
the visual cues and the you know the foghorn sounds and everything else and um and I came back to this thought that geez you're a one man shop and there's a pretty powerful design aesthetic both in your sound design in your visual design particularly in Adam Zombie Smasher um I mean are you truly doing this entirely every aspect of it and you know scoring the music and the whole nine yards or do you have collaborators for parts of it uh, yeah, um, I do everything except for the music because I do not have a musical bone in my body. <laughs> um, so the music is done by a band called the Volcanics and uh, the Beachwoods, and um, for Flotilla and Gravity Bone, it was like public domain music. Ah, uh, okay. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on next. I mean, you sort of teased that it's a, a sort of sequel or uh, at least partial sequel to what was going on in Gravity Bone. Um, can you tell us any more about it and maybe what's coming after that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So 30 Flights of Loving is the game that uh, was was released for the Idle Thumbs backers. And it will be released to the general public soonish, I think. That's um, interesting because we're partnered with Idle Thumbs and <laughs> I didn't get a copy. I was about to say, I'm an Idle Thumbs backer and I don't, but I probably didn't fill out some I did, survey. Shit, I didn't back shit. <laughs> <laughs> my, my backing was I think I, I bought Chris a coffee and then we, we went into business together a little bit. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so where's my code, dude? <laughs> so it's coming soon. Tell us about the game other than Rob wanting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, basically, it is. It is. If you play Gravity Bone and you liked what you played, then Thirty Flights of Loving will be right up your alley. It's kind of experimental. It's kind of different. It's kind of very narrative and story based. So, um, uh, yeah, it's full of interesting stuff. So that's done. What are you working on next then? Uh, yeah. So right now, I am making a game played from the first person perspective that uses the uh doom 3 engine and it is roughly based on the cyberpunk genre Ooh, now i'm intrigued (laughs) a little yeah bewildered what it's based on the doom 3 engine yeah, that went open source, I think, okay. late last year. So it's a great engine, and I figured, you know what, I might as well give this a shot, see how this goes. Now, is it going to, like, at this stage, I know it's all very early, but is this, is it still going, to, like, are you thinking any bigger for this one? Um, or are you, is it still going to be, like, you know, the, the quick hit experience, the, the, rush, of, the rush of fun uh, straight to the head? Uh, I, that's still kind of up in the air right now. Um, I think right now my, uh, my, my thought is that making stuff, uh, like, like a long form experience is something that's kind of risky on the development side, especially for something of my, the size of my operation. But, uh, it's something that I, I would be interested in, you know, giving a shot because it is something that I'm interested in doing. That was something I wanted to ask you about actually, is that, you know, so I mean, this is this is your job. You're 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 an indie developer. You're obviously you know uh, successful enough at it to you know continue to you know just be doing Blendo games. Uh, and so, is there is there any, like do you give any thought to like expansion and becoming a slightly larger indie de- developer with you know a, a a you know group of people, or do you kind of want to stick to the way you're running uh, the way you've run in the past? 
Yes, yes. I, I, I definitely feel that expansion is something that I, I kind of have to do. Um, so with every project that I do, I feel that my next one has to be uh, just a little bit more ambitious, a little bit more um, bigger, a little bit more uh, uh, aim a little bit higher every single time. And at some point, I am definitely starting to to poke at that that the boundaries of what I'm able uh, what I'm able to do. Um, so in college, I was a film student, and something I learned there that was that what one person can do is pretty much always less than what you know even what just two people can do. And you know when you have two people, that's not, you don't produce twice as much. It, two people just magnifies what you can do by, by a magnitude. Um, so I, I definitely feel that expanding out is something that I want to do and will do, you know, sometime down the road. After experience in AAA and having sort of worked answerable, uh, really only to yourself and, uh, not having to worry about, you know, making payroll uh, for your employees. I mean, is the thought of expansion, like, is there a part of you that, like, breaks out in a cold sweat a little bit when you think about, like, <laughs> actually having, like, multiple people working on a project for, uh, you know, in an office under your supervision? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when the studio got shut down, I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start my own business and this is with me having absolutely no business experience and not knowing how a business is supposed to pay taxes or what what form am I supposed to fill out to start Blendo Games. Um, so for me to do anything that's at all business related just just makes me want to tear my hair out. <laughs> uh, out of curiosity, what studio uh, did you work at before? I worked at Pandemic Studios. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. So we made um, you know, a bunch of like third-person shooters in uh, uh, Battlezone Two, actually. Yep. Early game. We should be winding it down now. You know, I just had, um, you know, kind of one last question about Adam Zombie Smasher. Actually, um, there's a plot unfolding in the background of Adam <laughs> Zombie Smasher. Yeah, that is. Kind of batshit insane. Uh, and, and Are you going to spoil it? And, and, You're trying and, not to spoil it. Well, no, I just I, I don't know where to begin. Uh, actually, is where because it, it's there are there are these characters and uh, there's the sense that you know you're defending this um, you know sort of like a Latin American republic that just happens to be armed with you know nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons, <laughs> and exploding llamas. Um, and zombie bacon, <laughs> and it all and it, and it all come it, it all comes to this like uh, tragic horrifying end. Is there actually a story there that you've like figured out? Like, oh no, this is entirely what happens, or is it or is it just a series of like what insane teas that drop into the background <laughs> that's going to leave people wondering? Uh, I, I do have a document uh, in my pile of paper somewhere where it, it does kind of describe more about a you know, how things connect to each other and how this character relates to that character and things like that. Um, but something that I think that games do is that they love to just over-explain everything. I think there's, there's something, I guess, I guess, I guess the developers don't want people to 
to ever have any questions about what's going on or uh, to have, they, they don't want people to be at all be uh, mystified by anything. And something that I feel is important is to, is to leave just enough out so that there's still some, you know, there's still some mystery, there's still some mystique, there's some, some questions that are lingering in your head like, what just happened? Like, I have a rough idea of what happened, but there's something there that I I'm probably missing. don't understand missing. the llama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something with llamas, but uh, yeah. So I, that's something I really, really want to include. Well, I can't wait until you finally make your iron lung machine gun racing game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can just drive that son of a bitch around the expressway in, in, in the president's iron lung. Um <laughs> But anyway, that'll do it for our show tonight. Um, thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening, and uh, thank you so much for um, you know some really fantastically yeah. odd gaming experiences. <laughs> fantastically <laughs> odd is a great way of calling it. Thanks. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. Uh, as always, uh, my thanks to our producer, Michael Hermes, for cutting this episode together, and uh, thanks to you for listening, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone.